Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Hatley Post. This Insight episode comes from full episode 44 with Chris Weibel. Chris is a professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of Colorado, Denver, where he is a co-director of the workshop on policy process research. Here, Chris speaks with Michael about the evolution of the field of policy processes and the importance of studying the policy process in understanding both society and the human condition better. This is the In Common Podcast. Okay, so I'd like to dive a bit more into this policy studies topic. I know you've been a co-editor of this book, Theories of the Policy Process, for a bit. And to motivate this conversation now, I'd like to ask you how you would respond to someone who asks, well, why do I need to study the policy process? Why do I need to look at how the sausage is made? Um, Why can't I just compare two different policies, say a cap and trade scheme and and a carbon tax, and just look at the outcomes and use that to understand which policy is preferable? Yeah. Well, first off, let's step back a sec and just talk about what kind of policy processes, um, what that means. I mean, for, uh, you know, first off, you can take policy, public policy as a field of study. And I often break it into two different components. I break it into, and these are intersecting and overlapping, but they're still useful to separate them. Um, one is kind of the field of study of policy analysis. And, and that's kind of your benefit-cost analysis, your distribution analysis. And usually it's kind of more applied. Usually it, it gets around, let's say, um, evaluating or, or forecasting different policy decisions. Um, and then there's policy processes. And, and, and this um, area of, of study uh, essentially focuses on um, uh, public policy. And let's define that as all those decisions that governments make. It could be laws, regulations, uh, executive orders, um, and so forth, but also it could include even all the kind of the rules and use, uh, the practices, uh, let's say, of street-level bureaucrats and so forth. Um, but, the, but the field is more than just um, the focus on those policies. It's basically all the kind of the politics and kind of events and contexts that kind of shape those decisions and the, the content of those policy decisions and the outcomes of them. Um, and so in a way... It, the field emerged in part because it, you know, traditional focus, focus of, let's say, political science may be different decision-making venues, let's say courts or the legislature or bureaucracy. But sometimes when you think of policy, uh, public policy issues kind of interweave through all these different decision-making venues and involve public opinion, involve, let's say, you know, socioeconomic status of a country or whatever. Um, and so we needed a field that was kind of, you know, kind of grasp and focus more on the complexity of our political system and, and, and embrace more of the, um, the components of it than, let's say, traditional um, fields had done in the past. And that's, I think, one of the reasons when policy processes, why it often takes, let's say, a subsystem or a system perspective, because it, it incorporates all these different pieces and pulls them together. Um, and this is important to study for a lot of reasons. One is it's, a, it's really it's a field of study of change. And, and, and I think change or the lack of change but uh, are both kind of part of the human condition. I mean, things are constantly changing to some extent. And understanding these changes um, helps us make sense of the world, but also uh, 
might actually affect how we interact with the world and how we want to produce those change. So if you want to, uh, you know, think about why the world might be doing, um, you know, might be responding to COVID in some ways or, or not in other ways, we need to look at the processes by which our government functions. And, and ideally, if we can understand those processes, we can affect them, or at least portray them in such a way that we can understand them better and maybe draw meaning out of them. Okay, so would you say that a focus on policy processes is a response to um, what I perceive to be an historical dominance of a kind of ahistorical, apolitical focus in policy analysis? I mean, I remember when I was in my PhD program, I was I took courses in cost-benefit analysis, environmental economics, etc., and I do remember that there was a, a distinct lack of emphasis on power asymmetries in that material. Um, one example that sticks in my mind is this in cost benefit analysis, a focus on willingness to pay and willingness to accept as measures of how much someone values something. And in my mind, I remember just thinking, okay, it's, it's obvious that these things would correlate positively with wealth. So generally, why are we valuing um, folks with more wealth and more access to articulated markets, why are we valuing their preferences more? Well, I don't, uh, I think, and that's a, that's a huge question right there. I do think um, the field of policy studies, um, like especially in the 60s and so forth, um, had roots definitely in um, kind of technocratic slash maybe more economic um, ideas of of let's say um, aspects of let's say fact value dichotomies, um, and yet I think you saw policy analysis in particular um, have that um, impression, in part because in the path of let's say legitimizing public policies, um, there is currency in our society to say that you're doing it based on some sort of objective science, let's say. Policy processes had some of that in it in the past, uh, but because it's always a focus on politics, I think you always had some elements or more elements, let's say, of of uh, power in politics and the fact that science is often used as um, political salvo and supporting decisions. That that it was, I would say, the the technocratic aspect is less, but it's still there. But I think also, I mean, this is as we go from a as you know, currently we're kind of living in this kind of almost like a post-factual age um, and where truth is really questioned um, and where we realize the, in the, in understanding the complexity of the world, you, you know, each of our scientific lenses actually offers legitimate portrayal of that problem. And, and sometimes, you know, we can pick and choose what science we wants to reinforce our beliefs. And this and this and nothing against the science. You can be very much an objective economist, but your but your portrayal of a problem is going to be very different than, let's say, a, an ecologist doing their job perfectly. Uh, and then it gets into like you know how do we integrate these different sciences into our decision making? And you see it right now with the pandemic. You know the extent that we're incorporating let's say public health, uh, economic, even various societal um, indicators of the problem, and 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 hopefully make good decisions. I mean, this seems to relate to what you were talking about earlier about the potential benefits of not having 
then, you know, the tunnel vision associated with expertise in a particular field because it creates these barriers. That's exactly right. But also, what, then it gets into the question, what science do you pay attention to and which ones do you ignore? And to what extent can science be used uh, to suppress and oppress populations and certain voices? And that's, and that's, that's a huge problem. And that's also where I think, I, you know, when it comes into like science and academia and usefulness in any society, I do think it's based on reflection of the strength of that democracy, the strength of the representation and, and who's part of the decision-making. Because science itself doesn't make the decisions. It's basically the, our leaders. Um, and we want those leaders to, uh, you know, be informed and pay attention, but we also want them um, to have a value system that's reflective of society at large. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, do you think that as a part of, say, any graduate programs curriculum in the sciences or social sciences, there should be um, a module on these issues? You know, I'm thinking of philosophy of science, sociology of science, um, the perspectives that I associate with science and technology studies, for example. I, I think they should, but I, I think it, it, uh, it, we almost need a, a, a field that talks about just the role of like knowledge. I would say I would include science, but also even other forms of knowledge outside of science um, and our own thought processes and, uh, and how it enters into our vocabularies of how we um, portray and understand the world. And so, I, I, so yeah, I would support that, but I think I would, I would just broaden it because, you know, a lot of times you don't need science to make a decision, you know, uh, you know, back in the old days, when uh, the old days, pre-pandemic, you know, when we had, you know, when immigration was a big issue and we had kids in cages, we don't, you know, we don't need a psychologist to tell us that science tells us that this is a bad thing. Uh, and emotional intelligence and empathy, right? Yeah, and, and and that's where I think you know we you almost you don't you want to de-emphasize science in some regards because it, we don't need it to legitimize every decision we make and or to be concerned about a problem. It's a, but sometimes science can actually um, show us that this is a problem, maybe by the extent or the change over time, uh, the seriousness. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To explore more episodes of the podcast, as well as our blog, visit our website at www.incommonpodcast.org. Here you will also find a list of the members of our recently expanded team, as well as a link to our Patreon page where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter at InCommonPod. Thanks again.